Uh, John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse 14 this morning. Just one verse today. And uh, I'll try to, uh, to preach just as long as the Holy Spirit leads me to. How does that sound? John chapter 1 verse 14. We're talking about the incarnation of the Word. I'll explain what that means here in a little bit. But the incarnation of the Word. And we're looking at John chapter 1 verse 14. John said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we do thank You for the day that You've given. We thank You for this time that we've had to hear reports of how Your Spirit has been working in other countries and other places around the world. And God, we're so thankful for uh, the ministry of the Gideons and what they do. And uh, and God, just how You're reaching people through the, the Word of God that's being put into the hands of, uh, of those that receive it. And God, we pray that You would continue to work uh, in those ways as well. Thank you for the song we were able to sing, the worship we were able to lift up towards you. And God, now as we look into your word, uh, we pray uh, that you would speak to our hearts. And God, we do want to receive something from your word this morning. And uh, we do want to learn. We do want to, uh, to be spoken to through you. But, uh, but God, at the same time, uh, we're here to offer you something today. And the greatest thing about what we're doing here is it's not what we can get from you, but God, what we can give to you today. And I pray that above all else, that when all is said and done, when the final amen is said this morning, that we'll have given you ourselves. If there's one here today that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray God that you would make that known, that they would surrender their hearts to you today. God, I pray for every person here that you would touch our hearts. Help us to surrender you to all that you have us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first chapter of John, as we've been looking through, we've, we've come on down through uh, to, to verse 14 today. But John has been introducing Jesus to us. And he's introduced him in a few different ways. Uh, he introduced him in one way as the light that came uh, to shine in darkness. And we talked about last week how that Jesus was not... A light, Jesus was not just a light among many, but it says that He is the light. He is the only light that's able to pierce through the darkness of of sin and and, uh, and worldliness. And so uh, He is the light. John also called Him the life, meaning that He is the source of all life, but He is the only fountain of eternal life that we can go to uh, for salvation. We also looked at Him as being the Maker. Uh, John revealed Him as the very One who spoke all things into existence. In fact, He said that there is nothing that exists, there's nothing that has been made that was made without Him. He is the maker, the creator of all that was. But the very first way that John introduced Jesus to us was as the Logos, as the Word who was with God and who was God. Uh, And as we look in our verse today, John chapter 14, we find this very same Word, the divine expression of who God is. It says that the Word who was with God and was God, it says He became flesh and dwelt among us. Meaning that He took on a human body like ours. 
And He came and lived on this earth with us. For what purpose? That He being the Word might manifest or reveal to us the very person of God. I love what Jesus says later on in John, in John chapter 14. Thomas said, show us the Father. You've got a lot of talking, Jesus, about the Father. Reveal to us the Father. Show us who He is. And Jesus said to him, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because He was the Word who was here to reveal and present to everyone the very person of God. Amen. It says the Word became Flesh, And I want you to look at four things about that today. The first thing I want you to see is just this very phrase, the Word became flesh. We're going to look at that, uh, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, the very first part there, it says, The Word was made flesh. Now, the Gospel of John was not credited alongside Matthew and Luke with having a nativity or or a birth story. And usually, when we get around Christmas time, uh, we don't start going to John and talking about the birth of Jesus Christ or His nativity and, and things like that. You see, Matthew pointed to the Christ child. He was focused on showing us the king. Luke uh, presented the son that, had, that was born. He, he presented Jesus in his humanity. But John was laser focused on showing us that Jesus was none other than God himself in a human form. And so when John makes an account of Jesus coming, or in John accounts of Jesus' birth, uh, he presented it this way. He said the word, who was in the beginning, who was with God and was God, and said, this word was made flesh. And one night, long ago, to a woman named Mary, a spouse to a man named Joseph, he was born. Made of a woman, made under the law for a purpose to redeem them that are under the law. The Word became flesh. What an amazing thought that the Word who made everything. It says in verse 3, if you look in, in chapter 1, it says, Without Him was not anything made that was made. What does that mean? He made everything. Every living human being that exists, exists because of Jesus Christ. His were the very hands that formed Adam out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it says the same one, the same one, it says that he came and took on a human body like ours. Think about it this way, the one who made everything. It says here in verse 14, it says he, he himself was made flesh. He humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, as we find here in in verse 14. Now what's so important for us to understand is that the Word did not simply take a human form. When we talk about Jesus being made flesh or Jesus coming down and and being a man or or, uh, taking on the form of a servant... We're not saying that Jesus just came down and looked like a man, okay? That's very important that we understand. He wasn't just in the appearance of a man. Uh, Nor did He come and enter a man named Jesus. It's not one of these issues where Jesus was born and then He grew up and He was worthy and so uh, God came and and entered into Jesus and possessed Him and and, uh, and then He was able to go around and do all these great things. No, no, that's not who Jesus was either. 
Neither was Jesus some half God, half man, uh, like we talk about with Hercules and Achilles and all these guys. We're not talking about some demigod. What we're saying, when we say that the Word became flesh, we're saying that the Word, the person of Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, uh, the eternal God, literally came down and not just entered a man, not just took the form of a man, but became a man. Jesus was the God-man. That's who He was. He was totally man, yet still totally God. We see not only that the Word became flesh, but if you continue reading with me, it says that He also came and dwelled among us. It says the Word was made flesh, and look at this, and dwelt among us. Now this phrase is not just repeating what was said before. It's not just repeating the same truth that Jesus was made flesh. But I want you to look at it like this. When we, when we say that the Word became flesh, that's when Jesus came to the earth, okay? So, so that's when He came. But when we say that He dwelt among us, well that's what He did when He got here. Alright, so in the very first of this verse, the Word became flesh. He came. Now this is what He did. He dwelt among us. He dwelled with us. The word dwell there I think is very interesting. It means to set up a tent for camping. Anybody ever been camping? Anybody ever set up a tent? Any of you wives got some really good stories on your husband when they were setting up tents? Alright? But the word dwell there, it means literally to set up a tent or it means to, to live or to remain uh, with someone. Or here's another word that I think is very interesting. The word well means to tabernacle. To tabernacle. Now I want you to pay attention to this because we're going to come back and make a connection here in just a little bit. But when we say that Jesus came, that the Word came and dwelled among us, we are saying much more. We're going way beyond the fact that He came to earth and stayed with us. We're going way beyond the fact that Jesus came and hung out with us for a few years. That's not what this is saying when it says that He came and dwelled among us. But in order to show you what this means, I have to take you back to the Old Testament first. You see, in the book of Exodus, after God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, the children of Israel were living in tents as they journeyed to the promised land. And so they would go and they would follow a great big cloud that God had provided for them. And uh, we'll come to find out that cloud was His glory, by the way. But they're following this cloud around through the wilderness. And, and every time the cloud stops, they tents out and they set up a camp. So the whole community of Israel is setting up tents all over the place and they finally get out to a place called Mount Sinai and they camp there for a little while and while Moses is going and conversing with God, God says, I want to do something special. I don't want to just be the cloud that leads out in front of you. I want to be in the midst of you. I want to dwell or live with you. And so what he did is he designed a tabernacle. A tabernacle is just a great big fancy tent. Alright, that's what a tabernacle is. And so there in the midst of all the children of Israel that were camping in the very middle, and that's exactly where God placed his tent. He didn't put it on, he didn't put it on the side, or it wasn't on some off street, some place you couldn't find. It was right in the middle of town. Right in the middle of this camp, God sets up this immaculate, uh, just a wonderful, beautiful tent or tabernacle 
but it was right in the midst of them. You see, here's the thing about God. God is holy, and God is righteous, and He is just, and He can't have fellowship with sinners. It just so happens that men are exactly that, that we're sinners. But I want to tell you something about God. God's got a soft spot for people. And when He created us, He didn't create us so that He could just rule over us, so that He could use us as His puppets. He created us for a relationship with Him. God has always desired closeness with people. And he told Moses as they were camping around and moving from place to place, he says, I want to be right in the middle of you. I want to be there with you. And so they made this great tabernacle, and this tabernacle was set up right in the middle of camp. And you know what happened? That cloud, which represented the glory of God, that cloud would come and it would fill that tabernacle, and the very presence and glory of God was dwelling among the people of Israel. Now, I want you to keep what we just said here, and I want, you to, I want us to go back to our verse here and apply this. You see, the New Testament shows us that the tabernacle and the sacrifices and uh, all those other things, they served their purposes. They did exactly what they were meant to do, but they were all temporary. And even then, the closeness that God was able to have was still restricted. See, there were certain rules. There there were only certain people that could even come to the tabernacle. And and so there was still a limitation of how close one could still get in uh, and, and be in the proximity of God. But I want you to listen to this. When the appointed time came, God did something incredible. Are you listening this morning? God did something incredible. You see, what He did is He designed... A tent like ours. A body like ours. And then what he did is he came and he set up his tent right in the middle of our camp. He took a body like ours and he came and dwelled or lived among us. That leads us to the next part of this. He says, John says, and we beheld His glory. Look at verse 14. It says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then in parentheses here it says, and we beheld His glory. What kind of glory? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We beheld His glory. Now, still drawing from this thought of the word tabernacling with us, John said, and we saw His glory. Now, let's think back to that Old Testament tabernacle. And why did we say it came and filled that tabernacle that was there? The very glory and presence and power of God. And John says this of the Word. John, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, said that the Word, the eternal Word of God, came and dwelt among us. He took on a body. He lived with us. And I want to tell you something about Him. We saw His glory. I can't help but think of the time when Jesus went a little further with three of them up on the mountain and says that He was transfigured before their eyes and He appeared in His glory before them. John said, we beheld His glory. And it was glory like nobody else's. It was, 
It had to be the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now this is significant. Because when the Old Testament tabernacle was completed, as we said, Exodus says that the glory of the Lord filled that holy tent, filled that tabernacle. Now the glory of God that visibly descended, this was something that everyone could see. When it came and went over the tabernacle and came down, this was a visible sight. The whole camp could see this cloud. Alright? Now the, the glory of God that visibly descended and dwelled in the tabernacle became known later as the Shekinah glory of God. Now, I don't say that to impress you with the word Shekinah, but I say that because there's a very interesting and fascinating truth here. You see, the word Shekinah means, in Hebrew, it means the dwelling. And then we just say that the Word became flesh and came and dwelt among us. And he said, we saw His glory. Shekinah means the dwelling glory. I looked into a Jewish encyclopedia, and the Jewish encyclopedia describes Shekinah glory like this. It said, it is the the majestic presence or manifestation of God which has descended to dwell among men. John said that the Word made a tent for Himself, that He became flesh, that He tabernacled with us, or He dwelt among us, and He said, and we saw His glory. We find here that the Shekinah glory of God descended once again, and said this time it was manifested in a person, Jesus Christ. It says, we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, that's kind of a puzzling phrase there. The only begotten of the Father. When, when you're going into the original languages, it's, it's a little puzzling to look at. Because the only begotten Son goes beyond the virgin birth of Jesus and His being the physical Son of God. When, when it says that He is the only begotten or only born Son of God, this seems to reach way back to the beginning and it identifies the Son with the Word who was in the beginning and who was with God and was God. You see, before Jesus was the physical Son of God, named Jesus, who lived among us, He was the eternal Son of God in heaven. You see, because there is one God, though there is one God, He is three. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John said, this was glory that could only be ascribed to the Son who had descended from the right hand of the Father. We saw His glory. But I want to take you to one last thing. And I think, to me, this was the most exciting part of studying these verses out. And uh, it's kind of something that we kind of trail off with when we read this. And, but I want you to know that I, I think it's almost the thrust of this entire verse. It, it, and if we get what this is saying here, I think it completes the picture of who Jesus is. If you look there in verse 14 with me once again, it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And I want you to look at this last part. Full of grace and truth. Now this is what we usually do when we read John 14. We say, wow, the Word came and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and, and He was full of grace. That's nice. Yeah, and then we move on to verse, you know, verse 15. 
We don't give a whole lot of attention to the fact that he was full of grace and truth. Or we, or we say, okay, well, he was, he's full of grace and truth. That's great. You know, that's a good thing to know about Jesus. But I want you to know that this is more than a nice way to end the verse. And I want you to, I want you to get this. I, I think this is so important uh, today. Listen, we can focus on what grace and truth are and how Jesus is full of both because he absolutely is. Yet we're going to approach this from a different angle. And in order to do that, I've got to take you back to the book of Exodus. And this is how John links. He draws a, a, a line from the Word who existed in flesh among us. And he draws a line and points all the way back to the God, Jehovah, Yahweh of the Old Testament. I want you to see how he does that. You see, in, in the book of Exodus, the people of Israel just messed up really bad. And Moses wanted to make sure that God was still going to be with them. And so Moses went up to the mountain and he speaks with God and he says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, listen, we can do this, but there's a certain way we have to do it. It would be dangerous for you if we do it the wrong way. He says, but, but I'll show you my glory. He says, you come up and and we'll set it up the right way and and, uh, you bring certain things. And and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come through and I'm going to proclaim the name of Yahweh. Proclaim the name of the Lord. So Moses went up on the mountain. The Lord appeared in the Shekinah glory before him. And this is what he did. When he walked by, he proclaimed, he told who the Lord was. This This is what the Lord did. He came to Moses and he described himself. He gave a description of who he was. I want to show you that description. In Exodus chapter uh, 34 verse 6, half of my verse is cut off here. But it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and that word right there is abundant or full of what? Goodness and truth. This is what Jehovah, the Lord, the God of the Old Testament, said about Himself. He says, I am gracious and merciful and long-suffering and all this. But the last He says, and I am full of, I am abundant in grace and truth. I want you to listen to what John said. John said, the eternal Word came and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. And here's what we saw about him. He was full. He was abundant in grace and truth. Amen. And listen, if we knew who it was that had appeared to Moses that day, it would blow our minds even more. John said that the Word, the divine expression of God's person, took on a human tabernacle and dwelled among us in Shekinah glory. He says, and this is what we noticed, He was abundant in grace and truth. What an incredible thought that the Creator who came and took residence among His creatures. Yet what's even more amazing is when we remember what He came to do. He didn't just come to have a body. He didn't just come to dwell among us. 
But you see the extent, the reason for His dwelling among us, the reason that He would come and camp with us is because He came on a mission to do something that once it was fulfilled and completed would give Him the ability to have a closeness with us that would be impossible any other way. Here's what He did. The Word came and took a body like ours. Now we had messed it up. We sinned. But he came and took a body like ours. And it says he was faced with all the same temptations, faced with all the same trials, faced with all the same circumstances and situations and all those things. Except it says he was without sin. Amen. And what he did when, when the right time came, and only when, when the Father said this is the right time, Jesus went to a cross. Amen. And he hung his human body. One that Look just like everybody else's. It says that he hung that body on a cross. And with his pure, innocent blood, he took my place and your place on that cross. You see, it's important for us to understand who he is. That's why John spent so much time in introducing us to him. Because when we understand who he is and what he came to do, leaves us with a question. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If God so loved the world, He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know that to reject Him past John 3.16 and say for he came not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved whosoever believeth in him is not condemned but he says whosoever believeth not is condemned already why? because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten son of God I want you to know that he is the life He is the life. He is the creator. He is the word who took on a human body to die for your sins. But I want you to understand this. He is the only way to the Father. Now I'll say this and I'll stop. Jesus paid an incredible price. He went through labor unimaginable to us so that you could be saved. But here's the thing. He made it so easy for us to receive. He doesn't require goodness. He doesn't require works. He doesn't require for, for us to show some great demonstration of faith and goodness and so on and so forth because He knows we can't. But this is what He does require. If you skip back up in 14, jump, jump right back up to the verse, verse before that, it says, but to those who believe you on his name, he gives power to become the children of God. Amen. Faith in Christ. That's all it is. It's looking to Jesus and saying, I know I can't save myself. 
And I know that without you, I know what my eternity is looking like. I know I need you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that if you don't know Christ this morning, you can. It's so easy. If you know right now, if in your heart, God is making you miserable right now because you know you need to do something. You know you need Jesus. Would you respond this morning in faith? If you know Christ today, I want you to consider who it was that came and died for you, who gave you salvation, who gave you life. I want you to ask the question. He gave so much for me. Am I giving my life for Him? Am I living for Him? Am I trusting Him daily? Am I walking with Him in closeness, in relationship, like He's always wanted me to? And if not, it's time to do something about that. I'm going to let the Spirit of God speak to your hearts this morning. The only thing I ask is that you respond in obedience.